Hello, and welcome back to Exhaling Words, the language podcast where I sit here and talk for like 30 minutes, and God, I hope you're listening. And for those of you who don't know, my name is Aaron, and I will be your host. Now, this week, I want to talk about a very sort of spicy topic, the F word. Now, for those of you who think that I'm about to curse on a podcast, which I totally will later, by the way, I curse really bad. That's not what I'm doing. I want to talk this week about the concept of fluency. How do we really grade our language proficiency? How do we claim to be fluent? How do we talk about, you know, conversational fluency, being an advanced student, an intermediate student, and how does this relate to all sorts of language testing levels and so on and so forth? So I have a couple topics that I really want to hit today, but I want to just start with a perspective from being a teacher. Now, I've taught languages privately and in the classroom since since I was 16 or 17, so um, a little bit over 10 years now. And one of the things that I've always really noticed is that I think that the concept of being in a first-year class, a second-year class, a third-year class, a fourth-year class, and this idea of beginner, intermediate, advanced, lining up with those numbers... I think that that kind of presents a false narrative for people. I think a lot of times we think, okay, first year is beginners, second year is intermediate, third year is advanced. So after three years, I must be pretty good at this language. And I'm not saying that that's not entirely true, but I also don't think it's really that true. When I taught Arabic at a university, one of the things that we had was we renamed our courses to second year was intermediate and third year was advanced intermediate and fourth year was considered advanced. And I genuinely find this probably much more representative of actual language proficiency as opposed to saying beginner, intermediate, advanced, one, two, three. The fact is, is that especially if you're doing coursework in a classroom and you're not, you know, living abroad or doing a lot of immersion work, just having three years worth of classes at best might put you at an upper intermediate stage. And I don't say that to like burst anyone's bubbles, you know, even my own bubble sometimes, but especially now that I exist outside of the teaching world and spend more of my time working in translation and things, I now understand that, you know, even my level of proficiency, which is quite high when I take tests, you know, there's still a lot that I don't know or I still feel inadequate at times. And, and of course, some of that could be imposters and or things, but I think it is also representative of even though you spend four years in school studying a language, for those of you who really focus on that, that doesn't guarantee you fluency. It doesn't even guarantee you, you know, solid advanced proficiency, depending as well on the difficulty of the, of the language and other struggles that come with it. So, for example, languages that are more similar to your native language, you might be able to make faster progress in, which is why, I say, like a third year French or Spanish student in the United States can read literature, not amazing literature and not fluently, but, you know, decently, while a third-year Arabic student might not be able to read literature because of the larger number of differences between English and Arabic, it makes reaching that higher level proficiency a little bit more time-consuming. I don't even want to use the word difficult. It's really just a question of time. How long does it take? Now, the question of proficiency and fluency is not just this question of classroom levels, which I, you know, do want to problematize that I think that the thought process of third year means advanced is not really often accurate. But it's also a question of, you know, proficiency tests, because a lot of people take these tests and they get these certificates 
And I don't want to say that, you know, like tests are bad and they're wrong or something because they certainly have value, I think. But I, I do want to mention, you know, a couple issues that I have with them. First of all, I don't think that all proficiency scales are created equally. So, for example, the three major proficiency scales that I use in my life as a teacher and as a translator in the U.S. are CEFR, which is the Common European Framework of Reference for Language Proficiency. This is when you see A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2. I use ACTFL, which is the American Council for Teaching of Foreign Languages, and this one's a little bit more detailed in its leveling. So they have Novice, Intermediate, Advanced, and Superior. And then within all those, except for the superior, I think, they have they have three levels. So they have novice low, novice mid, novice high, intermediate low, mid, and high, advanced low, mid, and high, and then superior. And there might be superior low, superior high. And then the third one, which isn't used as much in academia, but I've just had to translate it when giving exams and stuff for people, is the ILR, which is the International Language Roundtable, which is what the U.S. Department of State and other government entities use. And this is a scale that goes from zero to five. And to be honest, I don't think that zero to five is even really a fair scale for that because so zero is no knowledge, zero plus is a little bit, one is you know, an okay amount. <laughs> I don't even know how to define it on its own, but let's put it this way. They claim that like getting a five is like a well-read, well-spoken, well-written PhD in that language kind of thing. It's, it's almost impossible to get a five unless you're a native speaker who's been very well-educated using your language. As a non-native speaker, we pretty much max out at fours. And honestly, even at some levels, they don't offer fives. So for example, I have colleagues who do proficiency testing professionally for the ILR scale. And there literally isn't a framework for a five in like Dari and Pashto. In addition to these three sort of cross-linguistic standardized scales, certain languages also have their own scales. So for example, there's HSK for Mandarin Chinese, there's JLPT for Japanese, there's Topic for Korean, and most of the other exams, for example, there's ones for French and Spanish that have their own names, but they still use the CEFR system. So one of the things that makes some of this difficult is the fact that how do you operate across different scales? So for example, if you take a test and it says that you end up as A2 in CEFR, but you live in the US and nobody uses CEFR, what does that mean? Can you go and get an equivalency from ACTFL or from ILR? And how do you go about doing it? For example, like, so if you go on the internet and you Google a comparison between these, you can find some, but all the comparisons are generally quite subjective. So one of them that's available on the Wikipedia page, for example, for CEFR is one from the American University Center of Provence that gives correspondences. Another one gives some sort of comparison. I don't know who wrote this comparison between CEFR and other systems. You find that there are similarities, but, you know, it's not standardized. So, for example, when you, especially when you get between levels, you could have, say, a B1 in CEFR, which is considered, like, low-intermediate, but then is that a 1-plus in ILR, or is this a 2 or a 2-plus in ILR? It's definitely not a 2-plus, in my personal opinion. As somebody who works with all three, it's not a 2-plus at all. But I think it's closer, personally, I think it's closer to a 1-plus, maybe a low 2. But for example, you know, I've seen people try to link the ILR to the CEFR system and say that C2 is ILR5. And I'm like, no, because I can get a C2 in Spanish and French, but they're not going to give me a 5 in ILR. They're going to give me a 4 at max. 
And similarly with Actful, you know, there is a level above superior in Actful, which is called Distinguished. I've never known anybody to have it. I guess, again, maybe native speakers who speak very well, um, or the occasional, you know, non-native speaker who lived in country for 20-something years and has a PhD in that language and speaks, you know, very, very well. Maybe um, they might get a Distinguished, but it's just difficult to compare between all these. And then, not only do we have to worry about comparison, but we also have to think about what are the actual skills that are being tested in these proficiency levels. So, for example, when you took your proficiency test, did you just do an OPI, an oral proficiency interview, which is what we do for ACTful and ILR, although there are written tests you can do? Or did you do a reading and writing section? CEFR, for example, offers all these things, I believe, but they're given separately, I as I understand, I've never actually taken a CEFR test. But in ILR, most commonly, you either do a reading and writing test or you do an OPI. You don't usually get to do both. And it's a similar thing in ACTful. To be honest, most of the time, like those of us who get ACTful certified, and I'm personally not ACTful certified, but I have several colleagues who are, the process is all around the OPI. It's all centered around the oral proficiency interviewed. And so you get trained on how do you conduct the inter- interview, what do you look for, and all these things, which is great. And I've given OPIs, but I'm not officially certified to to give an actual score. And there is certainly a skill to it, but what if, you know, you're going into a job that just requires reading and writing? My job, for example, is just, you know, translation. It's, it's all paper. And so when I got my job with the company that I work for, they, they gave me tests, but they were all written. Nobody ever sat down and was like, please, you know, speak to me in Arabic or Persian. It was just please write for us. So this, you know, is also something that comes into play that if somebody says, hey, I have an actual proficiency of intermediate high, but that was an oral interview, what's to say that they can actually read and write at all? Or vice versa, if somebody comes and says, I have a CEFR of B2, what's to say they actually speak at a B2 level? And then you also have to deal with the fact that you can study for tests, especially with written tests. It's a little bit harder to study for an oral proficiency interview, um, although I guess it, you could prepare just by practicing speaking a lot. But when you're working with, you know, reading and writing tests, you can study grammar, you can study vocabulary, um, you can also prepare yourself for tests. And so I find that trying to define the concept of fluency or proficiency with such strict definitions of levels becomes very difficult. And this isn't just, you know, my opinion as an outsider, as somebody who has given these tests. This is also my opinion as like a speaker and as a student, you know, and somebody who struggles with this, even with friends sometimes, because we have conversations and it's like, well, where would you put your Hebrew? And I'm like, well, I read and write, you know, probably around like a B1, B2. Once I get my vocab up, definitely at a B2, like my grammar is pretty good. But you ask me to speak and I sound like I'm A2 or, you know, a language that I haven't done in a while. So there was a time when like my Russian was a very comfortable, you know, very comfortable B1. And now I feel like I'm struggling to even be at that level. Or even my Arabic, for example, you know, I just, because I spend most of my days reading and writing in Arabic, I don't speak very often. And so I found that my oral proficiency has gone down a certain extent. And so, you know, how do we try to interpret these sorts of scales into real life just becomes a mess, both in terms of, I have a test score, this is what it means, or 
I have proficiency, but I don't have a test score. How do I tell you about my proficiency? You know, for example, I've never taken a test in Spanish. I worked as an interpreter in Spanish. I I worked an interpreter in South America, interpreting into Spanish for people. I worked as an interpreter here in the U.S., interpreting into Spanish and into English, simultaneous interpretation. You know, I've done all sorts of translation,、um, both of literature and of of you know like professional sort of public texts and public records and things. And a lot of this has been volunteer work, just to help out with with communities I've been a part of. I've never taken a proficiency test, and so when somebody asks me like, "What's your Spanish at?" I mean, because I've taught and because I work in this field, I can comfortably guesstimate that like, okay, yeah, I would feel very comfortable saying I'd get you know probably a C two in Spanish, no problem. I read and write at that level. I read literature. I don't you know I don't think about it, but I have no documented proof that that is true in any way, shape, or form. Moreover, tests can change, and requirements can change. You know, for example, the HSK is going through a shift right now that will take it from a six-level test to a nine-level test, and not all of it's been publicized. Like, like the general idea has been publicized. You know, we're going to add more characters and more, you know, words that you have to know. But especially at the upper levels, they haven't gone into great detail about what those characters or words would mean. And I completely back this shift in the HSK standards and approach, because from the way I understand it, both hearing from friends as well as reading a lot online about it, as I'm beginning to sort of study Chinese again, HSK six is really maybe like a comfortable B two, but HSK like five or six is what they require you to go to college in China. Like if you're a foreign student, and you want to study in China, you have to get a HSK five or six, and it's like is B. Too really the level to be doing university level education in language? Like, no, that's not high enough. You know, you might barely be there, but you're going to struggle those first couple semesters. And so, the need to have higher proficiency levels and sort of flesh out these sort of sub levels and trying to find、um, nuance in them, and you know, and be able to say that this slight difference is really what's going to push you over. You know what pushes you, for example, from B one to B two, and and what is that difference, or what pushes you from A two to B one? I think similarly, you know, what's going to push you from HSK three to HSK four,、um, which is now theoretically going to be more difficult at HSK three. Now, like I think the number of characters is closer to what a current HSK four is. So this newer structure is definitely going to make a difference and allow for more nuance and for more detailed understanding of a of a student's proficiency. However, what does this mean for people who have already taken the test? You know, and to what value is your certificate anymore? Since tests change and requirements change, do we keep testing people? Do you have to keep going back, or is is once enough? You know. So I've already started kind of alluding to this, but. I also, you know, struggle with the whole concept of proficiency tests because I think proficiency and fluency—it's not black and white. It's not something that you can just say, "Oh, Erin speaks this way, and so she must also read and write that way," or so this must be the proficiency that she has. Proficiency really comes down to a, a multitude of skills. You know, it's not just speaking. It's not just listening. It's not just reading. It's not just writing. It's not just having correct grammar. It's a combination of all of these things. You know, you can have poor grammar and good vocabulary, but that's really only going to get you so far. And you can have decent grammar but poor vocabulary, but that's going to get you not even as far as the first option. You know, and so what happens when? You're a person who has a very sort of unbalanced skill sets. You know me, for example, because I speak Spanish and French. 
and I've studied Portuguese, I can read Portuguese at a very high level. I can sit down and read literature in Portuguese and not worry too much. Every now and then, you know, you hit some words, you're not sure what's going on, but you figure it out. But if you were to ask me to speak Portuguese, I mean, I do, I speak Portuguese decently, but I'd say I probably read Portuguese at around a C1 almost, if not at a C1 comfortably, but I speak maybe at a B1. You know, I still struggle with things like future subjunctive and stuff like that, like things that don't exist in Spanish and French that I understand when I see them in Portuguese, but producing them is hard. You know, it just, I don't have that level of fluency that I have in Spanish or French. Or for example, you know, I've studied a lot of Turkish grammar and things. So if you give me a dictionary, I can read Turkish, but my vocab is so weak and my speaking is quite weak that if you would actually just give me a dry proficiency test, I'd still be at quite a low level, like maybe A2 or so. So dealing with unbalanced skills makes it difficult to really gauge what is one's proficiency. Similarly, one's proficiency can change. And not just in the sense that, oh, as we study and we get better, we learn more, but you can backslide. I mean, I've studied tens of languages throughout my life. How many of them do I speak well? And even those that I don't speak well, did I once speak them well? You know, there was a point where I, I passed graduate level reading examinations in German and I spoke decent conversational German. Now, sometimes I feel like an idiot when I have to deal with German. Similarly with Russian, like my Russian has never been fluent or amazing, but I had decent Russian when I lived in Georgia. I got by and then I studied more when I came back. And then last year I tried to take a Russian course and the grammar was, I wouldn't even say the grammar was at my level. A lot of it was review because I remember grammar very well. But when I would actually have to speak, sometimes I just like struggled to put sentences together and there were things that I knew how to do. And so you can totally backslide and sort of lose your language proficiency over time. Even something like Spanish. You know, I just talked about how I did simultaneous interpretation in Spanish. I read literature in Spanish. I get on a Zoom chat with some friends and we're speaking Spanish and I stumble over words. Or I forget a word and I know it in French or Portuguese, but not in Spanish. You know, so... Even when you get to a very high level, this whole concept of use it or lose it is very true. I think you lose it less and you don't lose it as fast. So for example, I can go months without speaking Spanish and I just lose some of my speed and some of that fluency in speech, but I'm not really losing, losing the language the way I lose, you know, something like Russian by not using it for two years. So I think that dealing with unbalanced skill sets as well as backsliding and losing language makes ranking proficiency very difficult. The other thing that I really want to hit on, and this is where I'm going to get back to this concept of fluency and the F word, is just how do we even define fluency? You know, we can talk about proficiency. We can talk about you have this level or this skill set and, and give that sort of nuance. But that's not what most of the world wants to hear. People ask me, how many languages do you speak? And my response is, what do you mean by speak? What level? How fluent? You know, and these are questions that, honestly, I don't think a lot of people think of. And, and some people are considerate enough to give thoughtful responses, that you know, well, fluently, or that you could work professionally as a translator in those languages, or languages that if we dropped you in the country, you could get by. You know, you wouldn't die. You could ask questions. You could get around. You could find things. You know, but these are all different skills, and so how do we even think of approaching a word like fluent, you know, whether that's in terms of claiming that we have fluency, whether it's in terms of promising people fluency when we're teaching them, um, or trying to explain our levels to somebody else. Personally, one of the things that I really try to hold to when I talk about fluency is 
almost less of a level of proficiency and more of a type of proficiency, almost like a state of being. Are you comfortable in that language that your communication happens naturally? Not that it is unlimited, not that there aren't words that you don't know or that you, you know, can discuss complex details of economic systems or something in that language, but just how natural is your use? So for example, you know, I use Arabic quite naturally. And I have a very large vocabulary, enough to get into some of the basics of economics, maybe. But not details, you know, not nearly as much as I can maybe discuss in English. But I wouldn't not say that I'm fluent in Arabic. You know, I, I speak a dialect, I know standard Arabic, I read and write in the language. I speak quite proficiently with a natural level of speed and sort of literal fluidity when I speak. So could I not say that I'm fluent? But that doesn't make me a native speaker. And even using the word native speaker, how do we judge that level? At what point does one have, quote, native speaker proficiency? I would never claim to have native speaker proficiency of even French or Spanish or Arabic, you know? And these are languages that I've been using for around half of my lifetime. And I've worked in them professionally. And I have degrees in them. Trying to understand the idea of fluency, I think, is somewhat subjective. Personally, I like to think of it as this sort of state of being, is... Are you comfortable in a language that you can use it naturally? Even if you don't know every word, you can find your way around it. You can ask questions and get words defined for you without having to flip to English. You know, that sort of level. I think that's what I would call like a very proficient, maybe low B2 student. Like somebody who, you can still make mistakes. You might not know all of the advanced stuff. And your vocab might be limited to, you know, maybe just a few thousand words. But you have a good enough intuition and a good enough comfortability within the use of the language that you can use it naturally or as naturally as possible for that level. That's what I would call fluency, you know? So I wouldn't say, for example, I wouldn't say that I speak Persian fluently. I read Persian at a very good level and so I don't mind translating into English. But to be honest, when I speak, I, I, I stumble, I stutter, I still mess up basic construction sometimes because I always did Persian on a very linguistic level and not on a conversational level. So I don't think of myself as fluent in Persian. But I think of myself as more or less fluent in Portuguese. I can get around Portuguese really well. You know, I still stumble, I make mistakes, or I might not know a word, but I'm comfortable enough in my use of the language that I, you know, would say that, okay, well, yeah, like, I'm functionally fluent. You know, and maybe that's a better word to just say that you're functionally fluent, that you can function in the language. But that's, yeah, that's just me, though. I, I, I like to think of fluency as almost like a state of being around how we use the language as opposed to one's actual grand sum of knowledge or something. Because even native speakers, there are things that we don't know. I come across words that I don't know. Somebody asked me the other day what a word was in French. I didn't know it. And then we looked it up and I didn't know the English word. Does that mean I'm not fluent in English? Does that mean I'm not a native English speaker that I don't, I have, I have advanced degrees, you know, not in English, but taught in English. And I by no means would ever say that I'm not fluent in English, but there are words that we don't know as native speakers. There are constructions that we mess up. And that just also reminds me about this idea of like, I, I don't remember where I saw it the other day, but th this is going to be, have to be another episode, maybe, maybe next week's episode. But this question of like, when you're a low level speaker, 
you're allowed to make mistakes. But when you're an advanced level speaker, you're suddenly not, even though a native speaker can make a mistake. A native speaker can make the exact same mistake that I make in Spanish and nobody questions them. They're a native speaker. Oh, you know what happens? I say, oh, you're not fluent. You don't know enough. And I'm not saying that because I'm bitter or something like that's literally how people act both, you know, other non-native speakers or whatever. But I've had like, for example, I've had it happen to me in Arabic. You know, I've watched Arabs make literal grammatical mistakes. I've watched Arabs make grammatical mistakes and I have fixed them. But if I make the slightest little grammatical mistake, I have people acting like I don't have two degrees in Arabic and, you know, 12 years of experience with this language. 12 years? 11 years. 11 and a half. Um, you know, and so this sort of double standard of, of at what point do you get to make mistakes or at what point are you not allowed to make mistakes anymore? That's a whole nother thing. We should talk about that. That'll probably be next week. So in summary, I'm sorry I got a little ranty today. Um, yeah, I just find like trying to understand proficiency levels is just a mess and it's hard. And so if you ever feel like you're an imposter at your level because you passed a test that feels like it's higher than you or... You know, you feel like you can read and write at that level, but you don't speak at that level. Don't feel bad. This is life. Like, this is just, this is real. You know, ask me how many languages I can read in versus how many languages I can, like, speak really, you know, I don't even want to say really quickly because I don't think speed is a sign of fluency either. But but this whole idea of you have to meet a proficiency level and it has to be exactly right 100%, like, this is all fake. You know, this is just more boxes for us to put people in to try to to try to define things. Really what we're looking at is how do you communicate and how well do you communicate? And I think that that's way more important. As always, if you have questions or comments about this, please get in touch with me. I'm available on all major social media as polyglot Aaron. That's E-R-I-N for Aaron. And my email address is just polyglot Aaron at gmail.com. If you have suggestions for a topic you want to hear me talk about or an experience you want to share with me, please drop them in my messages or my inbox and I will be glad to share whatever I can in future episodes. And with that, thank you for listening.